0: Teton County Solid Waste and Recycling is reminding businesses of the Curb to Compost program, which allows businesses, restaurants to have food waste collection. And this is an important next step in your business's or restaurants recycling program. Welcome to episode 172 of the Jackson Hole Connection, reporting in the paradise of western Wyoming. Support for this episode comes from Teton County Solid Waste Recycling. Want to be a better recycler? Well, there's an app for that. Why yes there is, it's called the Recycle Coach app. Now available to Jackson Hole locals and visitors. Additional support comes from another business of mine, Jackson Hole Marketplace, a little market with a ton to offer. Visit jhmarketplace.com to bruise our intentionally curated gift baskets. Welcome to the Jackson Hole Connection. I'm Stephen Clark Abrams, your host. Thank you everybody for joining in today. Get out there and share this podcast with friends, families, or just somebody you're sitting next to on a bus. My mission is to bring you fascinating stories of people connected to Jackson Hole. So get out there and share this podcast with people, Facebook, Instagram, or however you listen to your podcast. I feel we all have a story to share, so please share this podcast with your friends. My guest today is Christy Spurl, a librarian by trade, a lover of books in the heart, and an entrepreneur by profession, Christy found a way to build a niche business in the valley she loves living in, while working in an industry she has a passion for, the world of books. Books can have a meaning to each holder, and Christy shares with us today how her knowledge and skills help others enjoy the world of books. Some books tell more than the story printed on the pages or the title on the front cover. And today, Christy provides a line of sight for books, which we might not have thought of before. Christy, welcome to the Jackson Hole Connection. Wonderful to have you here today.
1: Thank you for having me, Stefan. It's great to talk to you.
0: Likewise. I think it's funny that you and I have met a few times so at least once before, and we're able to connect the dots of one of the former guests that we had, Joe Kelsey, that I had on here and the connection with how he lives near my in-laws in their cabin, their summer, summer seasonal cabin. Yeah,
1: yeah, that's very Yeah. Jackson Hole, small town connections, right?
0: And Indeed. And we could say that we might get to hear your friend Batman uh, <laughs> voice his opinions. <laughs>
1: Batman the dog, if you've met him, is yes, he's very vocal. Yes. Hopefully he doesn't have a lot to say today. We'll see. we we'll see
0: how it goes. <laughs> you never know with Batman. Batman could show up, might not show up. It's Batman, right?
1: <laughs> Very mysterious.
0: <laughs> well, Christy, how did you get connected with Jackson? How long have you been out here and where did you come from?
1: I have been here uh, nearly this year. It'll be 14 years. I grew up in Denver and my husband and I came up. Let's see. We finished graduate school we traveled for a while. We thought, do we want to live in Denver? or Should we try something different? And a couple of friends from college had moved up to Jackson. I had never been here um, until around that time, just a couple of visits. And we, they had a, an available room in their cabin. And we thought, let's give it a try and see what we think. I did not expect to want to stay in a small mountain town long term, because I'm kind of a city person. But I very quickly, I mean, classic story, came for a summer, fell in love with the area, decided that it was for us, and we both got jobs in our our fields. Um, My husband, Lewis is a therapist, and at the time, he started working at the Community Counseling Center, and I'm a librarian, and I I started working at Teton County Library, which definitely got me hooked into the community and what Jackson is, what the people are. Um, Also, living in a cabin in the woods will help you fall in love with the mountains and the forest. And I kind of became addicted to that. And also I think of Jackson as sort of a big city and a small town, and it has so many of the amenities that, I mean, it's never gonna be a city. And I love traveling and going places where there are more restaurants and museums and people, but we get so much culture and interesting experiences and interesting people here in Jackson that it's kind of the best of both worlds. And we have been here ever since.
0: Well, I'm glad that the two of you have stayed ever since.
1: Yeah, I know. It's been great. Um, I love it here.
0: I'm I'm curious, from your perspective, you said that there's many interesting people here. Do you want to share of an interesting uh, person or two that you've come in contact with while um, living here in Jackson?
1: I think when I say that, I, I guess I'm, I mean, I meet a different, a bunch of different characters every year. But when I say that, I'm thinking back to the first years that we lived here and we lived in Wilson on Heck of a Hill. And oh, we yeah, which is a little little unknown piece of heaven. And we we met all kinds of old timers living in Wilson. Um,
0: did you know Link?
1: I did know Link, who oh, was such Link. a special person.
0: Link Hibbert. Yeah. She was a beautiful person. Such I miss Link.
1: Person. Yeah, those eyes. Um, that's what I remember about her. Yeah. So many people, I mean, um, people living on heck of a hill and then in black Canyon behind, um, like Annie Newcomb, the Newcombs lived on heck of a hill for a while. Now they live in town. Um, Joe Kelsey who lives in the, the summer cabins in black Canyon. And then my husband was also, um, in the very beginning working construction with a bunch of guys who were old, um, hippies and mountain guides that they would, you know, do mountain guiding part of the year and work construction jobs the other part of the year. So um, if you know George Cologne, our our past ambassador, Jay Pistono, folks like that. Um, and then also working at the library. Oh, man, you meet kind of someone from every walk of life at the public library. And the staff that work there were incredible, just curious, wonderful people who, I mean... Talk about characters, mm-hmm. like just the the full gamut. So, um, oh, Dale Barber would be another oh, yes. lovely human being who I know both from the library and from living in Wilson. Good, so, yeah. good
0: sorts of folks there. Definitely. Mm-hmm.
1: But and- then the longer you stay here, you know, you've like I've I've shifted my career from public library work to to other to the business that I have, and you just. You enter any other chapter of Jackson and you realize how many characters there are that um, you like. How have I never met this person? I've been here for this song and it's so fun. And then more people come into town. And yeah, it's just interesting all the the varieties of lives coming through here.
0: Now, did you go to graduate school to work in the library sciences?
1: I did. Yes. You did. A, yeah, a master's degree in library and information science is the, the official title.
0: And what were you doing? with the library or for the library for you before you departed over there
1: i managed the collection over there so that means um taking care of all of the hundred thousand some books and other materials and digital things um i was in charge of the staff who select those things and get rid of things and um, keep everything running materials wise and i also worked the desks so you may have. Seen me if if you are library regulars. Uh, sometimes I cross paths with people, and we know one another's face from from when I worked at the library, which is nice. Yeah, most of the time there, that's I was a manager.
0: Does our library have some historic collections or historic items in their collections? They do. Curiosity?
1: Yeah, they have a small, a small, um, a small historic collection in in a locked cabinet in the back where they keep um, some of the older Jackson classics. It's not. Uh, you know, the role of the public library is not the same as, say, the Historical Society and Museum, mm. which has a much broader collection for research, but they do have some things.
0: And now you are an entrepreneur.
1: I <laughs> I guess that's what I am.
0: Of an course you are. I'm You're still a
1: librarian at heart. <laughs> okay. Yes. Um,
0: well, you started your own business.
1: I did. I did. Five years ago. I started Foxtel Books and Library Services, where I help people with private home libraries. So I build collections for people, I curate things, I deal in rare and unique material, I help people organize really large collections, I help people problem-solve and design collections. I sort of do anything that has to do with books in the home, and I do that here in Jackson, and then I also do it around the country
0: and do you get to travel to for some I of do. your work? You yeah. do.
1: Yes. Which
0: and I love. What would travel for your work entail?
1: It is always different because every every client and every project, you know, you can imagine every library is totally different. Sometimes I show up and I bring a collection with me that I've been building for a client and and maybe they have some beautiful shelves and they're big book people, but their books are at another home, and they they would like their library to be filled with with a certain type of book. So I'll just show up and make it look fantastic with all sorts of things to read for years and years. Sometimes I show up and the books are already there, but they are all over the house and they're not in order, and they maybe there are too many, and maybe it doesn't look great. And so I organize them and make it look great. So it's it's different every time, but Yeah, just in the last couple of years, we've really started um, working more on either coast and, oh, this year in Chicago, last year in Houston. um, We had our first job in London, which I did not get to go to this year. I, I sent someone else, but we're sort of working all over the place, wherever books and homes are.
0: You say that you sent somebody else. How big of a staff do you have, or do you just contract out with some? people?
1: I, I contract out. I have. I'm, I'm mostly a one-woman show, but I I have connections in the library world and in the rare books world. So I will send a trusted colleague if I can't go or if they are closer to the location and and it would be easier just to to send someone for an install, for example. Usually I go, but COVID makes travel a little bit more complicated.
0: I'm I'm curious to know what's the smallest library collection that you've worked with? And then what would be the average size that you normally work with? And then what's the largest?
1: Oh, that's a good question. The smallest, we help people buy individual, very special books when they already have a collection. And so that could be one book that's worth thousands of dollars. I've helped people that just have one little shelving unit in their living room but they still need help with it. They still feel a little overwhelmed organizing it or, or making it look just so with, with their design elements. Most of our projects are between 500 and 1,000 or sometimes 2,000 or more books. I would say most substantial home libraries, it's, it's around 1,000 books or more.
0: And what's the largest home library that you worked with?
1: The largest, oh, maybe 3,000? I want to say. I don't always count them.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Now, when people have a home library, are you creating a card catalog for them?
1: Sometimes. uh, A spreadsheet is typically how how that winds up. Sometimes people would like things cataloged so they'd like a record or a resource so that they can think, do we have XYZ or how many, you know, do we have this particular edition by so-and-so and that they're able to look it up? I... Typically keep people from. Well, we'd all love to have a catalog. Realistically, a, a catalog like the library has is a whole system that needs to be upkept and needs a librarian full time to make sure that the physical collection is corresponding to the the online collection. So, I usually tell people that a spreadsheet, while simple, is actually going to meet their needs better and is easier for almost anyone to to keep control of and under, You know, be able to see in one look what they have. Hmm. But yes, sometimes a catalog. Cataloging in the rare book world can also be more like research. Um, for example, if you had a really rare book about Jackson Hole or a first edition of a Dickens novel, to document what that book is and why it definitely is what you say it is and also what makes it special takes research and writing almost an essay to to sort of declare what this is and and show why you know what it is so sometimes i help people do that do the research do the documentation um appraise the book that sort of thing
0: okay i'm curious to know what makes a book a collectible and and maybe also what are some of the some collectible books that you've seen or been able to purchase that have piqued your interest?
1: Sure. So a book can be rare for a lot of different reasons. It has to do with when it was printed and how many of that particular copy were printed the very first time that the book was created. It has to do with the materials that the book is made of and how old it is and who the author is and what condition it's in today. So We could have a book that was only published in the last 20 years that's incredibly rare if it's a first edition of that book. And if, for example, it became very popular after its publication, they might not have printed that many. So there aren't that many of the first edition and it makes it special. Uh, for example, J.K. Rowling's books, Harry Potter books can be incredibly rare if you can get the first edition because she didn't blow up, her popularity didn't blow up for a few years. And so they didn't run that many and people really love that book. They really love that story. So there are special copies of it that are, are the very first time that it was released into the world mm-hmm. in print or released in America in print. We could also look at a book that is much older, say, um, the Great Gatsby that S. Scott Fitzgerald was popular at the time of its printing, but it became such a big deal, and it is much older. So it's hard to find a book that is that, is that old that is still in its original condition, that still has its dust jacket, and that isn't um, damaged or tattered in any way that looks like it it did when it was first made. There could also be a book that's just a one of a kind special binding of a book that you and I have never heard of, or that an author decided, I'm going to make a one really special edition of this book that everyone loves. So it has to do with so many different variables. It's, it's about demand. It's about it's, mm-hmm. it's like any antique that um, or collectible, that it, if it has a certain story to tell, and there are not very many of them in the world, then it makes it desirable, and we add value to it.
0: Kind of like any other collectible item, I guess. Um, exactly. If there's a buyer for it, it there's always a price for it. It's...
1: Yep, it's true. Or here in Jackson, mm-hmm. our collection, our our history is not that old, right? There were not people settled here until the 1870s. So you know, in the history of books, that's that's pretty young. In the history of America, even that's pretty young. So the books that were published in Jackson, especially in the early 1900s are becoming more rare, becoming harder to come by. And if they have the author's signature in them, or sometimes if they have, uh, I've found books with notes in them from people who were around at the time or um, a book plate from the original Valley store or something like that, that a wildflower precedence pages. I mean, there are stories about Jackson being told in books too. So we have our own, our own form of rare books, which is fun to figure out and develop.
0: Interesting. Yeah, I have a book that my great-grandmother gave my grandfather when he was a young boy. So my grandfather was born in 1904. I think she gave this book to him, I'd say around 1912 or so. And it has an inscription in there written to her. It was a book about Abraham Lincoln, which at that point, he was... I mean, he's still relevant in our world today in conversation, but he had only been uh, deceased for a short period of time.
1: Yeah. It's more and,
0: recent. and she would have been alive during his,
1: his oh, sure. time. Yeah. Oh, that's yeah. cool. Special mm-hmm. in, in your family and for your, your kids and their kids.
0: Yeah. I, I love showing it to some people and showing it to the boys and to, yeah. my, to my kids and it's, it's nice. And then
1: mm-hmm.
0: I have some of my grand, my other grandfathers, his copies of mark twain's books nice. and i was like oh i will pick up tom sawyer huckleberry finn and and start reading it and my guess is in, it's it's probably published in the 30s maybe 40s and um i think it's in the original text of those mm-hmm. how those books were writ- written and it's tough falling along in <laughs> in that language because it's very yeah. southern
1: absolutely, slang. yeah
0: I think I made it for, through a few pages and <laughs> had to put it down.
1: <laughs> More of a challenging. Yeah. Oh, that's fun.
0: It, it was a challenge. For the people that you're helping curate their their libraries, are are these people who they're looking to fill shelves and, and to have a room look in a certain way, a certain design? Or is this for people who are really avid readers and they just happen to have a lot of space to keep their books?
1: The latter. Primarily. Mm-hmm. I I find if people just want to fill their shelves, they they know that they can sort of hop online and get books by the foot or their designer <laughs> knows that. It's that is a thing. But most of my clients are more interested in they very well may read many of the books that I buy for them. They're also interested in having a, a collection that has meaning to it and might refer to parts of their life to their travels to their art collection to their interests and they think of it as another art piece beside the antiques and furniture and art in their home that says something about who they are and about their culture and intellect uh, that books by the foot might not be able to say as clearly
0: and with the welcoming of covid you see People being interviewed, news stories, and you see behind them these curated right. shelves, and it might be all white bound books. You know, the spine <laughs> might all be white, or here's the blue, and it transitions into You're red. Right.
1: Yes, it's true. <laughs> Is that something
0: that you do as well?
1: Uh, I have not been asked to do that. I have more often been asked to deconstruct things like that and make okay. it a little more <laughs> special. A lot of people. I, I find that teenagers love to put together those rainbow shelves where they love to go through their parents' books and sort them into a really fun rainbow display. And then later, the parents sort of think, well, we have a rainbow on our shelves now, and we can't find our books. And the dust jackets are gone, so we can't read them. And so sometimes I'm asked to take them apart and make something a little different. But I love books in all their form. I would never discourage someone from doing that. I think it's they're fun design pieces to play with. And you can do so many things visually. There's a reason why we've seen all these Zoom screens. I think it is the best way to, to say I'm I'm a smart and curious person. And I I like books, even if I haven't read them all.
0: I, I have a tendency to buy a book. Ooh, that sounds interesting. And you know, I'll buy it. And it mm-hmm. might be a year or two or... Three years, no. three years, four years. Uh, before I get or through not. reading I it. do that
1: too. <laughs> I'm, I'm horrible about starting books and not finishing
0: them. So, but do you? Somebody said to me once because I said to him, "I need to finish this book." And I said, "Well, do you need to?" They challenged right. me. Well, do you really need to finish that book? Why?
1: Is that the best thing to do with with your life right now? Maybe not. Maybe there's a better book coming your way. Yeah, I once talked to local author Tim Sandlin about this, who. If you haven't, I think you have had him on the podcast. If you haven't, then you should. He said that his rule of thumb is your age. Let's see if I can remember this. You have to read a hundred pages minus your age before you give up. Hmm. And so the older you get, the lower the number gets before you're allowed to give up on the book. (laughs) So if you are someone who feels like you need to finish things, it is a nice rule to to let you off the hook when you. Get bored or have something else more exciting in front of you.
0: Well, I'm at 53 pages then that I need to read <laughs> before I can give up. Oh, dear. I, I know that I probably read fewer than that on some of those old texts of Mark Twain books. before yeah. I gave them up.
1: That's OK. <laughs> I say it's OK.
0: I was fine I, with it. I found another it, book to read. <laughs> <laughs> I was completely fine with it yeah christy we're going to take a quick break to have a word from one of our sponsors and then we're going to be back for more book conversation great for residents and visitors looking to reduce their household waste and become better recyclers look no further than the recycling coaching app brought to you by teton county solid waste and recycling you can access the recycle coaching app from your desktop computer, mobile device, and digital assistant. The platform makes it easy for you to get local disposal information for thousands of household items. What can you put in there and what can you not put in the recycle bin? Take that guesswork right out of recycling. Visit Teton county slash recycle for access. And you can become a better recycler today. Teton County Solid Waste and Recycling estimates that approximately 3,954 tons of food waste are disposed in the trash right here in Teton County every year. This makes food waste the next frontier material in the quest to achieve our county's goal to reduce waste and recycle more, which will help us aim for zero waste. For more information on Teton County Integrated Solid Waste and Recycling's Curb to Compost Commercial Food Waste Program, visit tetoncountywy.gov recycle and join today. Christy, welcome back. Thank you for the time that you're providing here to me and the listeners so we can learn more about what Foxtail books and library services is. And about having a home library. Let's say somebody has, they might have a few hundred books. What's a some recommendation to take care of those books for people?
1: Well, there's two parts to that question. If if we're talking about the first part is taking care of the books, uh-huh. The second part is enjoying the books.
0: Ooh, okay. Yeah.
1: So to take care of books, books really should be in a space where they don't have direct light on them. If they're special books, they definitely should have covers on their on them to protect the coloring on their dust jackets or on their uh, covers. And we do live in a dry climate, which is good. Although it can be a little little too dry. They shouldn't be kept in a cold room necessarily.
0: Should or should not be
1: kept in Should a cold. not. Shouldn't Uh-oh. be kept in a hot room either, but okay. they should be left out in the cool, you know, in in storage basically is what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. But I like to talk to people about how they enjoy their books. And sometimes you you want to keep books in a room that is well lit with natural light so that you can see them and they might make you happy there. And I, I often have clients who buy a special book from me that you know maybe in early uh, 1900s or late 1800s, beautiful binding with leather and gilt tooling on it, and they ask me if they can keep it in a well-lit place or if they can take the cover off of it because they just love how, the texture and how it looks. And I am not here to police anyone about uh, making this book last as long as it possibly can. Of course, I would like it if all of the books would last forever, but they're not going to. And they're they were made for our enjoyment to begin with. Mm. and i'm selling them to people so that they can enjoy them in their homes so usually i try to tell ask people what would make them happy and and where in their house they see their books and what's at eye level and are there you know are there certain subjects that they would like to have um in their bedroom or in uh, a certain part of the room that you see when you first walk in so that their guests see them first which books make you happy which books are you most proud of questions like that so I do care about, I'm glad you asked. I do care about taking care of books, but I also care about enjoying them.
0: I'm I'm so happy that you spoke about enjoying them because for me to enjoy a book, I just think about the reading
1: mm-hmm. the versus content.
0: being sure. able to see the book as well. And maybe by seeing the book, you're able to revisit the memory of what's in the book.
1: Right. Because you probably... Experience you probably have books that looking at the cover, like a book that you read when you were a kid or when you were in college that you were really into that you've forgotten completely about. But if you saw the cover, it might sort of take you back. Mm-hmm. And There's a sense of nostalgia there. Even if it's not a fancy book, it's just a beat up paperback. There still is like an attachment to it.
0: Mm-hmm. I didn't read much before my adulthood. Um, And I would say I didn't read much until up to probably about 10 years, if not even five years ago. I would not have considered myself a reader. I would say. What made you
1: a reader at that point?
0: What made me a reader at that point? Yes. I listened to other people about (laughs) reading Mm -hmm. and I had a tough time reading. I didn't always absorb what I was reading or... It would take me longer to read something, some Mm -hmm. information. And even if it did take me longer, I would have to read it a few times and so I'd become discouraged. But what changed was when I heard, well, you need, when you find content that you connect with, Mm -hmm. you'll learn that you enjoy it more. Absolutely. And some of the stuff that maybe I had to read when I was younger, I just, wasn't connecting with it at that time. But there was always something that I enjoyed learning about. So mm-hmm. find books that have that information in there. And I've expanded my reading. And And again, there's been some books where maybe I make it to the uh, 47 pages <laughs> <laughs> right. or the, the 53 pages that I need to read at this point. And I read it or I stop reading it. And I'm mm-hmm. like, mm, just not. Yeah. Digging with me, but uh, whether it's fiction or nonfiction, it's there's always something there. I do know I'm not sure of the right genre of the book, but I can give you an example: is The Grapes of Wrath. If I had to sit down and read the, if I sat down to read The Grapes of Wrath, the mm-hmm. chapters where it's telling the story, I'm into it. Mm-hmm. But the chapters, as an example, when it starts talking about the turtle crossing the road and thinking about why is that turtle crossing the road and why is there a whole chapter about that turtle in the road, that's not for me.
1: Mm -hmm. Interesting. Yeah. You're into story and something that's faster paced.
0: Yes. I love the book Catcher in the Rye. I like the book for what it is. I would probably get more out of the book now than when I read it in high school and when I read it five years Mm -hmm. ago. And... 10 right. years ago. Me too. But for anybody who's might struggle with reading, for me, who struggled a lot with reading, mm-hmm. I would say the only way to become a reader is to read. And that's with anything.
1: Mm-hmm. And yeah. just
0: find something which you enjoy reading some content. Right. You right. have to challenge yourself to get out there and find what you will enjoy. I know that's what I had to do.
1: Yeah. And sometimes it does take deciding. I'm going to set this one aside and find one that's more exciting for me. Sure. And that's okay, too. Especially when, like, I know you have kids, like, especially with kids who are reluctant readers, I think, giving them the permission to try things and to take home a whole stack of library books, because they might not all float their boat, gives them the room to figure out what they do like. And
0: that that we haven't, we haven't experienced that we have, our oldest is a voracious reader. Yeah, cool. He he read, he could read Harry Potter before he was in kindergarten. He oh was, he was reading to his kid his friends in preschool. And so our younger, our youngest son, he's not as strong of a reader, but he enjoys having the book. Ah. And so we encourage him, you go pick out books. Okay. And at one point I was beating myself up internally for not reading enough. And what I was saying was, To myself, well, I don't have time to read the books for me, so I'm not reading enough. But what I was found when I slowed down and thought about it, I was reading. I was reading a lot to my children. So I was still going through the action. It was just not a book that I might not have. I I had other books that I wanted to read, but I was still reading. And Mm -hmm. I still have the memory and the experience of reading to my children.
1: Yeah, which is Mm -hmm. lovely. That's important.
0: Yes. And I we... I glad for that time spent. I, I will be, yes. But it just took me a moment to reflect and allow myself to think about what I was doing and appreciate the moment. Right. Versus right. beating myself up for not being able to do what I wanted to do.
1: Sure. Lately, I've been trying to reach for a book when I might reach for my phone to mm. mindlessly kill time or whatever it is that we reach for our phones for when it's not something that actually needs to happen. And so that also means having a book that I am into enough that I want to reach for it instead of my phone, but keeping keeping the book within reach, not just leaving it in the bedroom, not just making it my evening before bed reading, but thinking, you know, I would actually rather, I, I think a life where you look back and can picture these moments where you're reading with your children or where you're reading over your morning coffee or whatever it may be, evening glass of wine, I, that's just a much more beautiful memory than you're not going to remember all the times that you're sitting there scrolling through your phone, or at least you might not look back on them as fondly.
0: That's right. I'm curious to know from your perspective about listening to books as well.
1: Oh, yeah. I've never put together an audio library for anyone, although, which I've also never put together a digital library. Who Mm. knows if that may come down the line? But I do love audiobooks. I especially when I used to work in town. Um, my drive from Wilson to town is not super long, but it was easier to to pop in a CD book or have an app from the library, and and you could get through books so quickly when when you're doing those drives. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, they put just the further every year. I feel like production for audiobooks gets so much better, and they have these. You know casts of actors, Hollywood stars doing audiobooks sometimes are really good production quality with sound effects and all kinds of things. There's just yeah, that's a really wonderful way to explore literature.
0: We have listened to Beverly Cleary's Henry Huggins and oh. um, <laughs> gosh, be good. The, the actor whose his name is drawing a blank on me. He was Doogie Hauser. He was Doogie Hauser.
1: Oh, Neil Patrick Harris. Yes. Yeah.
0: Read some of oh, the narrator great. for some of those books, and he's fabulous. That,
1: I bet. I oh. bet.
0: And and now the boys will say, I want to listen to Henry Huggins, but the, the chapter on such and such. So oh, last gee. night <laughs> with, very with specific Louis, request. Yeah. Well, we had to go through the audio book. <laughs> it's a nope, it, nope. No, we're just hitting chapter <laughs> chapter ch- till we got to um the PTA chapter about um, okay. Ramona.
1: <laughs> oh, How she wants to. It's been a PTA. while since I've read Ramona, but yeah. <laughs> it's a really good chapter, I guess.
0: It is a hilarious chapter. Okay. It is a great, is a great <laughs> chapter. Yes.
1: Oh, that's very sweet.
0: Christy, I, I'm also curious to know from your experience what is the oldest book you've helped somebody curate?
1: Oh, that's a good question. Probably not that old, Stefan. Um, so we are here in Jackson Hole, and as we were saying, it's, it's young, and publishing here is young, and wouldn't you know it, half of my libraries are here in Jackson, and the books that people want are old Jackson books. So the oldest Wyoming book I've handled is only, oh, maybe 1840, 50, 60. I mean, the state didn't become wasn't a state it became a territory in the 1860s now older than that you know i've i've looked at some really incredible material at rare book on the market from other sellers when i go to new york when i go to different book fairs and talk to these experts who have books from the 1600s or Mm -hmm earlier just really incredible museum quality pieces i don't have collectors that have that deal in in that material most of my collectors that would have older things are here in jackson and they're interested in in the west mm. so i love the recent history as well though i get excited about those old things as young as they may be
0: have you experienced a magical book and if so what would that be what book was oh the most magical book that you've been able to experience
1: magical book magical in whatever way i might describe magical to be
0: it it yes
1: yeah
0: it's magic to you it was magical to you
1: i can certainly think of books that have taken my breath away
0: we'll share one of those
1: Uh, i was once at the new york antiquarian book fair which is the the biggest and and best rare book fair in the country. And actually it was the year, it was the pandemic year. It was just before, it was just the week that that COVID was hitting. So we were still, some people were tapping elbows instead of shaking hands at this big book fair, which is, you know, a big public setting at the Armory on the Upper East Side of New York. And a collector friend of mine, Heather O'Donnell, who owns a bookstore called, or she's a book dealer, dealership called, Honey and Wax Rare Books had this incredible, I would call it almost a manuscript that she had picked up on her travels. This is how rare book dealers find their things. She was, I believe, I want to say in Germany and bought this manuscript from a Czech dealer. I may be getting the story wrong, but that's all right. It's just a story for a magical book (laughs) right now. And this manuscript, it was probably, I mean, like a small poster size, entirely hand painted with small paintings of scenes of European scenes in a grid. So hundreds and hundreds of of miniature paintings with no author written on it and no date. And these paintings were, the artist was incredibly talented and and clearly had had been trained professionally in fine art and had an incredible eye. And you could sort of see that it, it may have been around World War II, maybe just after, but again, no date on any of the pages. And and so this book was just a giant mystery of who this artist is and who they became and why they created this beautiful thing. But it was at some point released in, to some bookseller on some little lane in Czechoslovakia and became this mystery. So to me, that's magical because it has a story behind it that may or may not be researched and, and figured out. Uh, that was several years ago. And Heather has sold that manuscript, but she never found out who the artist was, despite lots of research and asking around through Europe and talking to art history professors and mm. doing her very best in social media. So, I mean, the magic of the unknown and the curiosity that that draws and the things that you can imagine in that book and also just the sheer beauty. It was just a beautiful object to to look through and the specialness that this is one of a kind. And I get to see this because I'm here and this book has journeyed across the ocean and is looking for someone to buy it. That was a magical book for me.
0: What a beautiful story. Thank okay. you. Yeah. Yeah. Of course. I, I appreciate you, you sharing that. <laughs> That experience, I feel like I could just envision it. Uh, It 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 was really special. It certainly created an interest to want to see that book.
1: If if anyone listening is particularly interested, this book has its own Instagram account at this point. And it is Europa Redux is the Instagram handle. So Europa, like Europe, but with an A on the end. And Redux, R-E-D-U-X. Huh. Yeah.
0: Have to look at that. Check it out. And final question of okay. the day. If you were to recommend a book for someone to read, because you've read a few books in your day. Oh, geez. What if you can't pick one name, name off two, three, four, five real quick. <laughs> but what are some books that you feel people should read that you've enjoyed?
1: That I've enjoyed. Yeah. That I would recommend to anyone. Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to give you two Wyoming books, since this the Jackson Hole connection. One is The Grand Teton Reader, which is edited by a local historian, Robert Ryder. And I tell people that this book is like having a whole Jackson library in one book. Hmm. It's like condensing all of the best of Jackson Hole, Jackson Hole's history and, and writing about Jackson Hole into however many pages this is, 260 or so. A uh, writer has done all kinds of research on Jackson and knows the best of the best and has picked out small uh, excerpts from various Jackson Hole classics from, you know, the Dude Wranglers to Owen Wister, who wrote The Virginian, to um, women traveling in the West and, you know, around the turn of the century, um, the Murries, early mountain mountaineering, writers, things like that. It's a lovely book and it also can introduce you to a whole bunch of other books. If you're into Jackson Hole history or you just wanna know more about natural history or the history of climbing or any topic around Jackson Hole, it's a really nice introduction. And you can find the excerpt that you like and go pick up the full book. So that's a way of recommending a whole bunch of books in one. And then the second book is called Encampment, Wyoming. And it's a photography book that came out in 2021. It's the, the subtitle on encampment is selections from the Laura Webb Nichols archive from 1899 to 1948. So this is a really cool photography book. It has been reviewed in the New Yorker this year and a bunch of other photography, um, resources, because this woman who lived in tiny little encampment, Wyoming, which is, I believe, uh, kind of down in southeastern Wyoming, she lived in this little bitty town. She got a hold of a camera and started a family business taking photos, but also took photos on the side of her people living in her town and her own family and herself. And the the picture on the front is her and her cat. Um, and she has an incredible eye, but she also when when you think about a woman not a wealthy woman having a camera around 1899, and developing this eye, probably without seeing all that, you know, she hadn't experienced that much photography, she couldn't have, she lived in a dinky little Wyoming town, and she wasn't traveling, she didn't have the money to travel. So to look through the photos that she captured that are really beautiful, and, you know, go up to the Forties. It's it's a really cool look at Wyoming. It's a really cool look at women and at the history of photography in the West. I I really love it, and I I recommend it to to everyone that lives here. Thank you. You're welcome.
0: I look forward to taking a uh, peek at those, taking a gander. Okay. I said I was going to ask one final question. This is really the final question. Okay. If people want to connect with you, Christy, how can they do that?
1: I am on Instagram. I connect with a lot of people through social media at Foxtail Books. Um, Foxtail is spelled like the tail on the back of the fox, not the tail like a story. Mm-hmm. Foxtail Books. And my website is foxtailbooks.com. You can email me from there.
0: Okay. I've so enjoyed this conversation.
1: It's been great talking to you. Likewise. What you are.
0: Well, thank you, Christy. That's what you, do. You here. are as well. <laughs> Enjoy your day. I'll let you get back to your your world of books or okay. what other adventures you and Batman might go on today.
1: Yeah, we'll see. Maybe we'll get out in the snow.
0: Yeah. It's a beautiful day. I've been out there a few times with my dog. Christy, thank you. I wish you all the best with Foxtail Books and Library Services and keep um giving us great books to read.
1: Thanks. Thanks so much, Stefan. Have You're a great welcome. day.
0: You too. Bye. Bye. To learn more about Christie and Foxtail Books and Library Services, visit thejacksonholeconnection.com, episode number 172. Thank you to Michael Morey, who supported me editing and marketing all of these podcast episodes. And to my wife, Laura, and my boy, Lewis and William, for supporting me each week and every day. I sure hope you've enjoyed this podcast. Get out there and read something new. Share something with people. And I look forward to seeing you back for the next episode of The Jackson Hole Connection.